Uh, I, I definitely would have told myself higher, slower, fire faster. Hey, welcome back to the Real Slim Fady Show. I am Fady Hawatma, and today I'm joined with a very special guest, Michael Lee, Reconciled, and a few other a few other companies. But Michael, Michael, and I have known each other for a good amount of time, and have definitely grown a pretty good friendship. And now looking to really get to know each other more. So, Michael, welcome, welcome to the show. Yeah, thanks for having me on. Yeah, absolutely. So. I guess you know really, really right off the bat. I know reconciled. It's not the only thing you're you're doing. Would love to kind of hear what you're what you're up to now and the journey that you've been on. Yeah. Uh, so reconciled has been a a business that I was you know, fortunate to start about seven years ago and been involved with and built built a really great team, really great management team that runs most of the day to day and can leads main operations for me and services for the comp- customers. So that's a lot of a lot of me to uh, kind of spend more time really thinking about the business itself and focusing on core areas of, of business growth. But I've also been able to dabble in other endeavors and, and help launch other companies. Uh, back in 2019, I was able to help start a H- online HR services company called Humanly. So it's basically the same kind of model as Reconciled's online accounting services, but focus on the HR side for small business. And I actually don't, I don't run that business day to day. My mm-hmm. co-founder, Laura Pillsbury runs that. She's an HR professional, doing a great job. And then I also, before the pandemic, was able to work with my co-founder, Ali. We were able to launch uh, what we now call PunchPay. It's an online fintech platform that does micro lending to small businesses, leveraging accounting data to do so. Um, And that's been one of my core endeavors for the past couple of years, especially during the pandemic and post-pandemic, working on basically instead of a, a service offering like accounting services, instead of working on a, uh, a fintech offering. So yeah. that's been that's been great. So it's given me a lot of exposure to uh, a, a broader fundraising, you know, experiences and yeah. fundraising and more of the fintech and startup scene, and also some of the differences and challenges that poses versus doing core services in an accounting yeah. services company. So yeah. yeah, definitely learning a ton. Yeah. To say you're a serial entrepreneur would be a very accurate <laughs> an accurate an accurate term. So yeah, you know, I'd love to hear I'd love to hear kind of one of the biggest differences that you've seen. Obviously, you know, both of us have run services companies and both of us now are on the tech side as well. And so would love to hear from your perspective what the biggest difference that you saw running services versus running tech and how did services actually help you and how did services hurt you in the tech the you know getting the tech companies off the ground yeah that's a great question so on the on the services side as as you know services for most people running services companies they tend to fall into especially in the accounting arena they fall into these this space of required or necessary services so it's actually really easy to sell yep. in the sense of if if you're in services and you're confident you can d- deliver the work because you you will do the work yourself in the beginning then it's really easy to sell so it's it's actually easy to find customers yeah. and you know that there's a ready audience for that service whether it's accounting services hr management consulting sales consulting, marketing, whatever it is, mm-hmm. professional services and services in general, um, you, you, you can generally find a ready audience. It's very similar to consumer or at-home services like plumbers, electricians, contractors. There's a ready yeah. audience. People are buying that service all the time. So 
Small businesses are buying accounting services all the time. The plus side is that there's a ready audience. It's not a new market that you're having to carve out. You're not having to explain, well, what is this that I offer? What's this new category? It it exists and people know about it. People need it and generally have a budget or a, or a price in mind in, in their budget that they're willing to spend. And as long as you can provide good service and you're, you're not in an area where there's you know, a t- oversaturation of competition, you generally yeah. can grow, grow a customer base, even if it's just for yourself, which mm-hmm. most in the accounting profession, most in professional services, they don't grow that fast or that big. They get to yeah. one, two, three employees, and that's about average, right? Yeah. And the, I think the average accounting firm has, does $250,000 a year in revenue, right? So it's enough for yeah. the owner and maybe one or two staff accountants. So mm-hmm. that service, it's, it's it's easy to start, low cost of capital. You don't have to really fundraise. You don't really need outside capital. Mm-hmm. And you're really leveraging your relationships and your community, and it's easy to do. And when the challenge comes, and it's it's a challenge that fe- I felt like we solved at Reconcile, but, and we continue to try to solve in a unique way, is how do you differentiate yourself so that you can scale? And then how do you scale where the scaling doesn't require the same one for one or like for like humans to be involved, right? Mm-hmm. So professional services requires a, a specific human, a specific number of human beings generally are the variable cost or the cost of goods sold, if you will, mm-hmm. of the service. Yeah. And that, that continues to grow. And the problem with that model is that human beings are unpredictable yeah. and can be unpredictable. <laughs> and, and there is a, sh- there is a finite number of them and they have a shelf life, right? Yeah. And so human beings, of course, are valuable and my employees are valuable and I love working with human beings and humans make up companies. They operate, they do the things that companies need to do, but professional services requires an abnormal amount of them as opposed oh, yeah. to software companies or product companies. Yeah. So that's the downside is if you are trying to do that and scale, it requires a lot of human interaction. And in order to deliver the service itself, that requires a lot of human interaction. And that is hard to scale and that tends to be unpredictable. Yeah. So those are those are some both of the pluses and the minuses. So then when you get into the shift of starting a product company, whether it's software, fintech, whatever, or even building widgets that you sell online like an e-commerce store. The difference is that you can leverage the sale of the product and it generally is exponential leverage compared to the number of humans you need involved. Um, mm-hmm. You know, great example is what you've done with Clockwork where yeah. you haven't had to grow a team super, a number of people super fast yeah. Yeah. compared to the scale sales numbers and the customer numbers you're able to go get. Because you can sell and service a much larger pool of customers than you would if you had to actually do, you know, financial planning yeah. modeling oh, yeah. yourself on Excel, yeah. right? It's yeah. it's a very yeah. different model. Yeah. The downside, the risk side of a of a clockwork or a other product company is you have to raise. You generally have to raise capital yeah. to grow. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. So you have to raise a lot of capital. So the cost of capital, the cost of entry. Is there is there it's it's gotten lower over time, but it's still there to, yeah. to make a really big splash and to make a mar- name for yourself. Yeah. And then, and secondly, because you have to raise capital, there is a, a desire that you do need to grow 
And you need mm-hmm. to grow at a certain rate to return yeah. Yeah. that cost of capital, whether that's debt capital or equity yeah. capital. You need to return it. So you have to grow. You know, in professional service, there, there is a tolerance for slow growth. Actually, most of the professional services market is slow growth. Yeah. 5% is pretty much common. 10% is fast growth, yeah. right? And anything <laughs> in, above yeah. that is hyper. Like, oh, you're growing 20, 25% a year? Yeah. Whoa, you're crazy, you know? Yeah, yeah. In in, in yeah. fintech or software companies, you're growing 5 or 10%. Uh, are you even alive yeah, <laughs> right now? Yeah, 100%. You, yeah. Exactly. If you're not doubling yeah. and tripling or yeah. growing 10% a, a, a month yeah. or a quarter, like, you're not even in the game. You're not even playing yeah. the real game. So that's, No one that's wants to talk to you. No one yeah. wants to talk to you. You're yeah. not even a, no. you're not even really growing a product company. You're not really doing anything. Yeah. So yeah. that's also a huge difference I see as well. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, you said a ton of things there that are super helpful and I want to pick out a couple of them. With with the services company, you know, when before I started Clockwork running my outsourced CFO firm, it was extremely rewarding cuz I was working one for one with my clients, but hiring people was such a pain in the ass i mean it was such a pain in the ass and then when you do hire people and your clients are used to working with you directly scaling a services firm i mean it was it there were so many times where i would attach a new client to one of my employees and they were like no we're not going to do that we signed up with you for you and we want that level of service and it was like well how the heck am i supposed to scale this if everyone just wants me, 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 um, yeah. and you know that that definitely was one of the biggest one of the biggest problems. But one of the biggest benefits was how easy it was to get business. I mean, I literally right. I didn't have to try. Right, business would just land in your lap, and as long as you are not a shitty person, you know. I'm curious to hear your thoughts on this. There are so many shitty outsourced accounting, outsourced CFO, professional service people in the market that do not provide a good product, do not provide a good service, and you know, really are preying on these on these companies that just don't know any better. I saw it very, very firsthand in Chicago running my firm and I looked at them and I'm like, man, there are these are all sharks and they're literally preying on these companies. I'm curious to see if if you're as 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 adamant as I am about that. It was sad to see. Well I think that in any professional services market there is that dynamic. There yeah. are great attorneys, and then there are shark yeah. attorneys. Yeah. There are great financial advisors, and there are people that are in it just to make money, and they're not really giving any financial advice whatsoever, or yeah. even good yep. financial yep. advice. So there are good stock traders, and there are bad ones, right? So there's it's the Absolutely. same thing in accounting. There are great yep. accounts. There are terrible ones. There are great CFOs and financial planners and, and advisors. There are bad ones. Yeah. The interesting part of the accounting market is there's a shortage of even if you add all the bad ones with the good ones oh, in, exactly. the, in the supply, yeah. the yeah. demand outpaces the supply by yeah. exponential numbers. Oh, yep. So the number of people who can actually even do work or even even market themselves as I will do your bookkeeping yeah. Yeah. is is just in short supply. Yeah. And unfortunately, the generation at the generations after us aren't running to go study accounting and finance. Yeah, yeah. So the CPA profession isn't producing enough people, the CMA, you know, people majoring in accounting, MBs, they're not producing enough people who want to do this work yeah. and want to learn the craft to do it well. Yeah, so yeah. 
even there are even a number of well-intentioned people who yeah. want to oh, do yeah. good work. They're just not competent enough yet, yeah. but they're out there marketing themselves. And because the entry point is so low, where anybody can hang their hat on Upwork, LinkedIn, Fiverr, yeah. Yeah. all over the world, right? Yeah. So you're you're exactly right. There, I would say that there's a mix. It's a mixed bag. And it is up to the small business owner to vet. Unfortunately, most small business owners don't know how to vet. So, yeah, they don't know. They don't know any yeah. better. Yeah. yeah, they don't know any better. So they're going to go with the yeah. person who who they trust ultimately. And on mm -hmm. some of them, unfortunately, they're going to choose price yep. over that sometimes. Mm -hmm. And that's a reality. And so they're then going to learn the hard way through the process yeah. of of are they getting sound advice or not? And and that's why you have to you, you do want to vet and work with a number of advisors, a number of professionals, just to have yeah. a comparison and, and check references and when possible, uh, check ratings online when possible. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And also see the see the result of the work. If if this advisor is actually helping you with sound information and is actually helping you grow your business, okay, that's that's the results speak for themselves, mm -hmm. right? If yeah. you're not getting any any good anything out of it, that's that's gone well, then the results speak for themselves. I mean, I've also made the mistake as uh, as an employer hiring professionals, right? I've oh, yeah. I've hired I've hired bad bookkeepers, bad accountants, just because it's also hard as an employer to also oh, vet really, really bad, right? Yeah. Sometimes yeah. they're great at the actual work, they're bad at the customer service. Yeah. Right? Sometimes they're great at the customer service and they can be charming and sell you, but mm. they literally can't tell a debit from a credit. <laughs> yeah, so they can't do the work. Yeah. yeah, they can't do the work. So that's been also yeah. hard too. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, that, that and that brings a, a super valuable point with the future of accounting, the future of accounting services, future of financial services. Obviously, you know, that's why Clockwork exists, right? That's why I made Clockwork because I knew that the future wasn't my consulting firm. The future was a technology that would enable consulting firms and enable, you know, entrepreneurs to do what they need to do. How do you see from your angle, right? Like you said, not everyone's running to get an accounting degree. How do you see the use of technology completely changing and transforming this industry where it's not that big of a problem if people aren't majoring in accounting, right? Because they get overworked. They get absolutely, I mean, it's the most thankless job in a company is being an accountant. And even when you go, if you go to a pub, big public accounting, I mean, you're getting paid 50 grand a year and you're working 78 hour 80 hours a week during busy season and you just get absolutely run over so it not only is it not well paying it's extremely demoralizing uh for a lot of people and that's just the way the industry's been right and the, so the, there's like there's a few things going on that have to happen at the same time one because the supply is not there and because the the demand continues to be there for the work, but the supply of people aren't there. And yeah. the people who really are excited and want to be in the profession, technology has to solve it. It's not just will it, it has to. Exactly. Because otherwise, it will just be a generation of, you know, I would say older millennials to baby retiring baby boomers who keep yeah. doing this until until we're dead. dead yeah. right? And then yeah, yeah. technology yeah. at some point catches up. Yeah. And there's individuals like yourself and myself who are trying to build technology to try to make it easier, better, faster, more automated. And yeah. then there's also the dynamic shift of the labor workforce globally where yeah. you are now seeing a 
huge number, an exponential number of companies who would never have considered offshore labor doing that now, right? The oh, yeah. outsourcing industry continues to grow, especially in the Philippines alone, by 10% mm -hmm. a year, the global outsourcing. Philippines alone is growing 10% a year, and that's adding, that's adding another million people in the Philippines to do outsourcing. So, I mean, that's a huge – so the – you know, we think about the number of US, the U.S. jobs, the people that are de, um, exiting the workforce yeah, in the U.S. Yeah, yeah. That same number every year is being added in the Philippines to outsource globally. Wow! So that and that's just the Philippines. That's just the Philippines. I'm not talking about yeah. India yeah, or yeah, yeah. where we, you know, reconcile that does a lot of outsourcing in South America. Yeah, South um, America is huge as well. Yeah. So. Yeah. If a million's being added every, you know, at, at, um, every single year, that is a ton of people that yeah. is supplying the supply, and that mm -hmm. will get better and better, right? Even yeah. the quality of that will get better and better. Yeah. So then there's software on the other side, and you're you're gonna see, you know, as 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 the software does its job, and then hopefully finally the U.S. infrastructure of the banking core systems and the IRS systems actually catch up and we stop we actually minimize the use of checks at some point yeah. you start seeing those things level out you'll eventually see that we're going to need less and less labor to do the same work and mm -hmm. you know we're going to need less u.s people doing glorified data entry yeah um and we're we're all of those individuals are have to going to go up, have to go upskill and go up market oh um, for sure yeah and, you know that that is a that is a reality so I definitely see that, and you know, your company Clockwork is on the forefront of that, and is yeah. part of that transformation that's happening. Yeah. And you're and you're seeing it at all different levels, at the CFO suite, CFO level, yeah. all the way down yeah. to the data entry bookkeeping level. Yeah, yeah, and you know, the funniest thing is when we started, when I started Clockwork back in 2018, everyone was like, "Oh, so you're a cash flow forecasting tool?" I'm like, "No, we're not." You know, it's it's so much more. It's it's a digital CFO, it's a full-blown FP&A suite, it's, it's all these things. And, you know, we're only, you know, even though 2018 seems like a million years ago, it's, it's not, that long, not that long ago. But just in this last year, everyone's like, oh my gosh, you're in the FP&A suite, you're in the, you're the CFO suite of tools, future of work, future of finance. I'm like, there's all these terms now because the market's caught up. People are seeing what the future needs to look like. And, you know, it's kind of this mad dash. And I was literally on a call earlier today um, with someone who, by the way, knew you. Uh, he actually, he actually, he was like, oh, do you know Michael Lee? I was like, how ironic. I have a conversation with him in an hour and a half. Um, but he was, he was explaining like, oh, you know, in six to nine months, cash flow forecasting is going to be even more important. I'm like, do you understand that the, you know, everyone keeps talking about this impending recession. It's happening now. Right. There's no it, we don't have to look and wait till next year to actually get our shit in line and for companies to get their shit in line. It's you have to do it now. I feel like there's so many people and, you know, to use a super crude uh, analogy, it's like so many people are the boiling frog. You know, that that analogy of the frog is sits there and the water just boils around it. And I feel like that's how companies are right now. Everyone knows it's coming, but no one realizes that it's it's literally happening. You know, it's, it's not, it's not something that's just going to hit up, you know, wake up one morning and be like, holy shit, something's different. Yeah. It's, it's at the stage where pre pandemic, it was the, the first movers, right? The first yeah. movers that were willing to do this and try these technologies out and use it. The pandemic accelerated that. Oh yeah. And now yeah. you have really, you have 
a lot of you have a large chunk of companies that are outsourcing both at you know huge fortune 500s down to small businesses and and solopreneurs that are outsourcing everything on upwork and on fiverr in the philippines and stuff um you're you're gonna see it it's not like you said it's gonna happen in the future it's it's already happening and then what you're gonna see is in in each year you're gonna see this huge gobble of them of the market and especially in information type services things that can be done online yeah. Digital marketing, uh, financial planning, financial services, everything's yeah. going to be there. You know, tax preparation's already going there. At some point, you won't even need a U.S.-based CPA to do yeah. most anything. You're just going to use an MBA or a CPA trained person in the Philippines or India to do yeah. most everything. And the big four are already doing a lot of that. Yeah, yeah, so yeah they are. If the big four. If companies are allowing the big four to do that, to handle yeah. audits, to handle whatever, our, our little little firms and little firms across the country either have to catch up or I think what's happening too is you see a lot of companies being run by baby boomers. You know, Most mm-hmm. small businesses are still run by baby boomers and they're mm-hmm. retiring. They don't want to change. Yep. And so they're going to wait for the next owner to take over to do the transformation. So mm-hmm. they're anticipating also in the next five to 10 years, the largest transfer of wealth to occur in US history mm-hmm. through these business business owner assets yeah. that occur from business yeah. owner to, to there. I think in the, unfortunately in the wake of that, the business owners who wait too long may not have an option to transfer their wealth or their asset because yeah. there may not be the young What's buyer there? Yeah. What young buyer wants to buy a old business that doesn't have technology implemented yet, mm-hmm. right? They don't want to have that headache. So mm-hmm. there's going to be some baby boomers that have started that technology transformation just to at least get it going for the new mm-hmm. owner. But then there's going to be a lot of businesses that are that they're not going to have a lot of value in them by the time they're ready to be sold because it's going to take too much work to transform them technologically um, yeah. or their processes are stuck in an old school process. So there'll yeah. be some some, you know, Definitely a lot of uh, consequences because of that that we're going to see. But you're right. That transformation is happening. Yeah, there, I mean, there's going to be such a, just a massive shift. You know, even how I started Clockwork five years ago, it's not how companies can start right now. And then, you know, that's just going to completely be different in the next five years. And then five years after that, you know, just the scale at which things are changing is unmeasurable, in my in my opinion. And to switch, switch, was switch things a little lighter. You know, I'd love to, obviously, with you having run and, and continue to run and starting successful companies, I would love to know what Michael Lee of now would tell the Michael Lee of 10 years ago, uh, you know, at the beginning of your entrepreneurial phase 10, 15, five, you know, what, however many years ago, what is the number one thing that you would tell your younger self as an entrepreneur, watch out for this and make sure you do this? Uh, I, I definitely would have told myself hire slower, fire faster. Yeah. You know, I had a hard time definitely early on letting, I, you know, I loved every person that I hired. I just, mm-hmm. I loved them and I wanted them, I wanted to be their best friend and yeah. get to know them and care and care about them and create a culture where they felt cared. And I still want that. I still want that reality, but yeah. I also gave people way too much trust and way too much trust for their words and didn't, didn't let them first show and prove could they do what they said they could yeah. in their interview yeah. and almost give them a, a, almost a trial period or a probation period to show that. Mm-hmm. Because uh, so I was really trusting, and then when people made mistakes, I, I really gave them multiple, uh, like yeah. many, 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 many times to, to because I really yeah. invested in them, and I 
had this I really had this belief, this sunk this sunk cost fallacy belief. Right? Oh, yeah. It's a it's a it's a thing taught in finance where sunk costs is is something that you should use to measure whether or not you, you continue on a an investment yeah. or a project. And in finance, you know the sunk cost fallacy is no, you ignore that. You have yeah, to look at the future. It's gone. Yeah. It's gone. Yeah. Same thing with human beings. Right. If you've if you've invested in somebody and they just can't perform, yeah. that sunk cost fallacy is there. You have to decide are they the right person still and or not, and can they do the work that you hired yeah. them for? Yeah. And so I think hire way slower than I was used to and fire fire a lot faster and yeah. and of course do it in a way where that treats people with, with dignity and as human beings. Yeah. Do absolutely. it professionally. But but it's okay. At the end of the day, it's okay. It's better for you and it's better for them. It treats yeah. them with kindness that way. So yeah. I would say, say that. And secondly, I would I would also I would also have when I, when I look back, I found the first part of my journey very lonely because I did it on my own. Yeah. And I did a lot of it, most of it on my own. And I think I I would have said to myself, go find some more some more either co-founders or some even wider group of people to help you in yeah. the beginning. Mm -hmm. And because it did it did it was a lot of hard work, and I put my I put my my spouse and my family through a lot of sacrifice oh, those yeah. first few years, and I, and, I, and they will yeah. have to sacrifice any time. But I felt yeah. like it was it was more than they should have had to. I yeah. could like. it could have been it could have been a little a little easier. Yes, a little yeah. easier if I if I had a more involved co-founder at the time yeah. or um, or co-founders at mm -hmm. the time. And then I, I I think the other one is go go find I, I think it would have been helpful to have a few sage ment a few more sage mentors. Mm -hmm. uh, like older, you know, what guys that have retired or near to retirement that, that if I look at their life, I go, I want to be like that. Yeah. I, yeah. I wish I had had that in my life at that time. Yeah. yeah. And, and so I've really made it a point to look for those peers and for those advisors to be in my life now, but I, I would have done, I should have done it sooner, way, way sooner. Yeah. No, I love that. I, you know, it's funny with the higher, slower, and fire faster. My CEO coach, one time she told me this, she goes, no one ever wished they waited to fire someone. And, you know, we always talk about, talk about, and I'm like, man, that is, that is extremely profound. Cause you know, every single person that I've ever had to, had the unfortunate, you know, decision to, to terminate someone. And I never was like, man, I wish they were still here six months down the line or four months down the line. And you know, more often than not, it's like, holy shit, why didn't I do that sooner? Why didn't I fire them, you know, three months ago or, or a month ago or a week ago? And so, yeah, I think I'm 100%, 100% alongside that. And I myself, I'm a solo founder as well. And being a solo founder of a tech company, I mean, holy shit, you want to talk about, <laughs> talk about difficult, plus a bootstrapped, right? You know, I bootstrapped Clockwork for four years and you know curious to hear your thoughts on on bootstrapping the tech side versus versus venture backed on on the tech side i think bootstrapping is way way overhyped i think it's overrated <laughs> yeah. um i would never in a million years ever bootstrap another company in my i don't care if i have 10 million in the bank i'm not bootstrapping it um so curious to hear your perspective on that it it's hard you know there i i think is I think the reality is if you're playing in certain markets, you need capital yep. and you need a lot of capital and you need to move fast. Mm -hmm. And that's the, that's the reality of certain markets. Now mm -hmm. there is the story of, Oh, the person that bootstrapped it and got yeah. a billion dollars <laughs> on their own. And I go, ah, that is so rare. It's ridiculous. It is just and so it, rare. And they're full of shit. 
When yeah, you actually yeah, yeah. look when you yeah, actually look exactly. at the story exactly. and you really cover <laughs> uncover layer by layer, they didn't boot yeah. you know, if their their family gave them ten million dollars, yeah. And it's, you know it's like when Trump said, My my dad gave me a small loan exactly. of a million bucks and I turned it and it's exactly. like exactly a small yeah. loan. Okay. Yeah. okay. You are a self made man. Yeah, sure. That's exactly you it. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> and yeah. so it's the same thing, you know. I we're in a we're in a reality of a market where your competitors, especially in tech, especially in mm-hmm. there's certain markets where you just have to have capital, biotech, yeah. pharmaceuticals. But then in tech, you cannot move that fast without capital yeah. Yeah. unless you are a rare breed where you can program, sell, find new oh, customers, for sure. all this stuff, and you can get you can get paying customers right out of the gate. Yeah, yeah, everybody wants paying customers out of the gate. We'd love that. The reality is, you, most people have a certain skill they're really great at, and and mo- most of the time, it's not it's not having yeah, capital not that's just sitting in the bank. Yeah. It's not all yeah. of them. So yeah. having capital to deploy and to move fast and hire fast and get those people yeah. early is smart. It's super smart. And the reality is like that's why funds exist. That's why capital's out there. Mm-hmm. Go go get it when you can. Why why wouldn't you? If you feel like you're a special case and you want to bootstrap and you want to get early paying customers, by all means, try it. It's yeah. just not the route for most people. Yeah. It's just not, and, in my opinion. And it's the credibility. It's it's the credibility piece. Yes. Right? When you I can't tell you how many prospects that I met two years ago before we were VC backed. And they're like, uh, I love your product. I love your team. I'm gonna wait to see if you guys are around next year. And yeah. I'm like, what the hell kind of shit is that? <laughs> You're not even gonna pay for the service. You know it's a premium product. You know it's a premium service. And they're like, yeah, we, we'll, we'll just wait. We've seen too many nightmare stories where companies will sign up and then the companies will literally go out of, no, got to, go out of business. If the, the founders ran the company in a precarious way, there's all these things that have happened that if you don't have backing behind you or just that stamp of credibility, that faith of someone else's money, right? it's, it's hard to – even if you can sell like a – monster that's a tough objection to overcome that's a if it's like hey you guys don't have a vc behind you your competitor does they may not be as good as you are now but they could potentially get there in six months in nine months in 12 months Um, it's a very very tough thing to overcome yeah i i I totally agree because you're you have competition and unless the there's a level playing field of no one's raising capital yeah the ones raising capital all the ones that raise capital end up generally ahead yeah <laughs> like yeah, yeah yeah so yeah know, there's yeah, the rare yeah. case where it doesn't but uh i it, it i don't want to be that rare case i don't want to yeah. assume i'm that rare case <laughs> yeah. yeah there's a way to do it there's a way to succeed but there's no reason to stack the get stack the cards against yourself just by not fundraising yeah um, you know there's there's literally no reason no reason to you think you're gonna hold more equity you know it doesn't i'd rather have a, a smaller piece of a much bigger pie than a bigger piece of a smaller pie having not fundraised. Awesome. Well, Michael, thank you so much. I'm sure we can talk for literally hours and hours on, on all this kinds of stuff. I'll make sure we'll make, we have to make sure that we, we have you back on the show. Um, but thank you again for joining the Real Slim Fady show. This has been awesome. We will catch you guys next time. Great. Thank you.